to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a PCUSA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children like me and youth and adults at ndpc.org. You can also follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come join us in person. Okay, that's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. Scripture text today is from the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. Listen for a word about grace. God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which God loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places so that in the ages to come, we might be shown the immeasurable riches of grace. The immeasurable riches of grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what God has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. That is the word of God for you, the people of God. We say together, thanks be to God. Grace. We finally get to grace after a couple weeks of living in sin. Grace. Maybe more than a couple weeks for some of you. All right. Grace. Sorry. (laughs) Nope. Nothing personal. Grace is the most important idea in the Christian tradition. What's the most important idea in the Christian tradition? Okay, good. Grace is really hard to talk about, though. I've been reading for weeks and weeks in preparation for this sermon series. There are so many books about sin. People love talking about sin. It makes sense. We've talked about how sin has a physical reality to it, right? Remember our biblical metaphors, the weight and the stain and the debt and missing the mark. We feel sin in our bodies. Our brains are wired to remember pain more than anything else. So sin is easy for us to talk about, and because it's so easy, it tends to occupy a too large place in our theological imaginations. Grace is not so easy to talk about. Grace shimmers. Grace is luminous. Like light, it's hard to hold on to. It's hard to quantify. And because grace appears so ephemeral in its nature, grace kind of gets shoved out of the way in our imaginations by this vigorous intrusion of our big, ugly sin. 
which is bad because there is, again, nothing more important for us to hold in our hearts and minds and spirits than the reality of grace. So what I want to do today and over the next three weeks is get you comfortable thinking and talking about grace. Let's get our hearts and our minds oriented around the reality of grace. I'd love it if the very first thing that you think of, the very first thing that you feel when you think of God is grace. So what is it? What is grace? Grace is the undeserved, unprompted love of God. It's God's love for you. It's God's love for all of us. Theologians from across the generations have agreed on that basic definition of grace. God loves each one of us. Every person, look around, every single person sitting in this room, God loves each of you. God loves all of us. God's love is not conditioned on anything you did yesterday or last week or last year. You don't earn God's love. You don't necessarily deserve it, although some of you think you do. God loves you because God wants to love you, because it's in God's very nature to love the things that God creates and God made you. Amen? Amen. Say, I am loved by God. Hallelujah. <laughs> okay. Good. Well, theologians agree on the basic definition of grace. They struggle to pin grace down to specific examples. Grace is not like sin, which in many cases we can name, right? The date, the time, the place, and the perpetrator, probably. Grace is more like when you get injured. Anyone ever broken a bone? Right? So you know exactly when that bone was broken, probably. But when did it heal? Right? It happens, it happens slowly. It's a process. Uh, it happens almost in secret. Grace works like that. Grace is also a kind of a shape shifter. She shows up in so many different ways, in so many different places. Imagine in your mind's eye the ripple of light on a body of water. Or if you've been walking outside and noticing the buds just beginning to open on all the trees. Or maybe you've observed at some point in your life how in this wild, wonderful world you are made to fit just so with every other living thing. Is that grace? Yes. Creation is full of grace. Is grace the mercy that's new every morning? When you wake up, are you a new person every morning? Do you get a second chance? Is grace the realization that will you have done things that you should not have done or left undone things you should have done? Is grace the realization that God does not condemn you? Yes. Forgiveness is grace. Is grace the confession that you know exactly what it would mean to love your neighbor and yet you have chosen something else? 
And yet God receives you when you come like the prodigal gets received by his father with open arms. Yes, that is grace. Is grace the breath that sustains you every single moment of your life? Yes. Is grace the moral agency that you have? Yes. Is grace the freedom that you have to live and move and have your being in this world? Yes, of course that's grace. Is grace friendship? Is grace the birth of your children? Is grace sitting with your beloveds as they die? Yes. Is your daily bread grace? Yes. Is laughter grace? Yes. Are tears of joy or tears of sorrow grace? Yes, they are. Is the hope that death is not the end of you and the awareness that death has in fact lost its sting? Is that grace? Yes. I hope you see the problem with pinning grace down to one phenomenon. Once you start looking for signs of God's grace in the world, once you start looking for signs of God's love, you start seeing it in all kinds of places. It's all around, and even if you look, it is within you. God showers us with grace. God is grace. Now, there are among us sober-minded, rational folks. Bless you. And you will respond to these declarations, these wild declarations of mine, and you will say, all right, but give me some proof. You don't have to believe in God to believe in sin. The concrete evidence of sin is all around. Children in the Ukraine who are not alive. An earth that is burning up around us. Every case of domestic abuse. Sin is obvious. It's all around. It's easy to believe in sin. But grace is harder to believe in. Often the work of grace is quiet, like the healing of the bone. It is gentle. It doesn't call attention to itself. But she is there, relentlessly restoring life. I wish I could, but I cannot prove that grace exists. And some days, grace is almost impossible for me to see, but I do know what my heart feels, which is that underneath all of the brokenness, there is an urging in the direction of wholeness. Underneath whatever has been torn, there is an energy that leads toward mending. In every fractured human relationship, there is a perpetual invitation to reconciliation. Whenever evil or apathy diminish human integrity, there is something that wants that integrity to be restored. 
Something at the heart of this existence that we share feels to me irrevocably sacred. So sacred that it feels like in even the most twisted arc of history, that history can be bent, and that which bends history toward righteousness is called grace. Can I prove it? No. Will I stake my life on it? Yes. Now, I said earlier that not much compared to sin has been said about grace, and it's true. But among all the things that have been written about this amazing idea, this amazing truth, the best and most lucid and most evocative descriptions of grace that I've ever encountered are 700 years old, and they were written by a woman named Julian who lived in the town of Norwich in England. 700 years ago, Julian was wondering about the meaning of life. And she was doing it at a time when all around her there was death and suffering. 30% of the English population died by disease during Julian's life. It's possible her husband and children were among those who died. We don't know. And Julian was sick herself, terribly sick, almost to death. And while many of us and many throughout history who have faced the hardest realities of our existence find that suffering overwhelms every impulse toward the good, Julian stared at the same realities. And she asked God for an explanation. She said, I wanted to know what was our Lord's meaning. I was answered in my spirit's understanding. You would know our Lord's meaning in this thing? Know it well. Love was God's meaning. Who showed it to you? Love. What did God show you? Love. Why did God show it? For love. Hold on to this and you will know and understand love more and more, but you will not know or learn anything else. Ever. Love, Julian said, is the heart of all things. It's the heart of reality. And Julian saw it everywhere. Christ, to her, became her mother. For nothing she knew in all of human experience could match the love of a mother for her child. Julian looked at God and found no anger. Every time we imagine that God is angry, we have to look at the ways that we project our own bitterness and anger and call them God. Julian wrote about a God 
who she believed loves us with an infinite patience. Imagine that, an infinite patience. As long and as fiercely as we human beings need to be loved, God will love us until we finally grow up and see ourselves and see each other as God has always seen us, as good and whole and lovely. Julian writes about sin, but she puts it in its place. Remember how we've said together that sin feels more real than grace? Julian couldn't have disagreed more profoundly. She wrote, I believe that sin has no substance, not a particle of being. Sin is not in our nature, she wrote, and certainly not in God's nature. So the question for us, right, in reading and encountering Julian's revelation, what changes in our minds, what changes in our hearts if we believe that all of creation is of one thing, all of creation is a unity, and that one thing in all of creation is love? What changes? I know. Some of us hear revelations like those of Julian's and we think, ah, she's not being realistic. But what feels right, what feels intuitively right, is Julian's belief that love is the most true part of our existence. And that when we human beings find ourselves under the spell of sin and we feel its pain, what finally heals that pain, what releases us from sin's spell is not revenge, it's not vicarious suffering, it is love freely given and freely received. Friends, there is a divine reality that is greater and more powerful than anything that we can even begin to imagine. This divine reality creates all things, loves all things, and keeps all things in its care forever. Everything is held by grace. Or as Julian said, all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. Amen.